0: Okay, so welcome, my friends, to Kabbalah and Coffee. We have so much to talk about today. So, um, one of the big topics in Kabbalah, the truth is this is the big topic, one of the big topics in philosophy, in any spiritual um, discipline, is the conversation regarding free choice. Okay, so I'm going to ask everybody, hey, Susan, welcome. So um, this is a a by raise of hand question. So by raise of hand. Do you believe in free choice? By raise of hand. Looking around. Do you believe in free choice? Yes, a little bit? Slightly? Slightly? Yes? How about you guys? Looking around. I see some hand raised. Okay. You know, it's really a loaded question because there's two different ways in which or two different reasons why you might believe in free choice. One, because, well our tradition tells us us that there's this thing called free choice. Well, that's one way to believe in free choice, but another is to say that I I believe that human beings have free choice. When we talk about free choice, the question really is, what are we talking about? What is choice? So if I told you you could have a choice and just online, I'm I'm muting everybody just for a clean background. At At any point in time, you can unmute and jump in for questions or comments. If I told you that you could choose between a million dollars, right? Or, let me think of something like terrible, or, uh, but, or having your house toilet paper. You know what that is? <laughs> toilet paper in the house? <laughs> yes, back in the day. School, yeah. They used to do that old school. They used to toilet paper the house. Yes, never happened to me. Don't get any good ideas, guys. Um, never happened to me, but like you could choose either a million dollars or to be annoyed by having your house, toilet paper, and then you have to somehow, you know, get rid of all that mess. What would you choose? The money. The money. All right. Adam and I are thinking alike. Adam's like the money. I'm like, yeah, the money. So is that what we call free choice? Is that free? That's a choice. I gave two options and Adam expressed a choice. But I'm going to ask you the question, is that really choice? I mean, how hard was that choice? I mean, technically there's choice there, but is that really choice? I want to walk you through different dimensions, multiple dimensions of choice. And as we'll see in today's conversation, this is going to be very relevant. I'm going to begin today's class with an exploration of free choice on three levels. Three levels of choice. Level number one is what we would call, what, what would we call this? I have to come up with a good name. Level one choice is what we could call logical choice. Let's just use that word logical. It's logical choice. The choice between a million dollars or being annoyed by someone toilet papering toilet paper your house, right? is not a hard choice to make, right? It's, it's a fairly easy choice. Somebody says, you have a choice. You could either have good things or not good things, right? Theoretically, it's a choice, but on a practical level, who's going to choose the negative? Everyone wants to choose the positive. So it's a choice, but it's a logical choice. So you're making a choice because at the end of the day, there are, the, 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 uh, there are two options in front of you, But it's like the choice almost makes itself. It's like so obvious, it's like the choice makes itself. That's level one choice. So somebody says, you know, you can have, let's say you like vanilla ice cream and you don't like chocolate ice cream. And you go to a dinner and they have a dessert buffet and they have an ice cream station. Now I mention this literally because when was it? I don't know. A week and a half ago at the JLI retreat in Stone Mountain. They, they had a dessert buffet with ice cream. I happen to miss it, but I know that there was ice cream lined up. So imagine if you like, I think over there, there was, let's say, chocolate, vanilla, mint chip, and strawberry. Let's say four, four, four flavors. And you only like vanilla. So you get up to the, to the thing, to the, to the buffet, and you have four choices in front of you. They say, what would you like? And you say, vanilla, very confidently. So you made a choice, right? You chose vanilla. Was it a hard choice? Pretty easy choice, right? It, it's almost like the choice chose itself. It's like, you, this is what I, it, it's. It, it was an obvious choice. Again, the choice between, the example that I gave before, between getting a million dollars, something really good, versus getting, having something that's annoying done to you, is also theoretically a choice, but it's an easy choice. It's like, yeah, I'll take the million dollars. I'll I'll take the thing that I like and not the thing that I don't like. That's not hard. That's level one choice. Logical, it's obvious when I weigh the, the, the facts and the features and the benefits and the deficits of the two options, obviously this is the path that I'll choose. Done. Level two choice. Is a little bit more difficult. Level two choice and typically conversations about free choice end at this level right here. It's where you have two things, two options in front of you that are absolutely or virtually identical. For example. Instead of talking about a buffet that has vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, mint chip ice cream, and strawberry ice cream, no. This is, you walk up to a buffet, I don't know why a buffet would have this, but but stay with me for a second, and they have apples. And you could either, either have the red apple or the red apple. Aha, you with me on this? Now, you and I have had this choice so many times. You've had a choice. You and I have had this choice where things are identical. And I don't mean apples in the actual grocery store because everyone has their idea of what the perfect apple is. You with me on this? You go over to the bin of apples in the grocery store and you start eyeballing it. And now, uh, you know, in the Bisman Corona in the times of Corona, now it's a whole thing. Do I touch them? Do I not touch them? You ever have that like moment of hesitation? Like, are we touching fruit now or are we not touching fruit now? Like, how does this work? Where, like, gloves or no gloves? I, don't, I haven't seen gloves in the supermarket. Am I wrong here? Am I the only guy? Is everyone just taking with their hands? Mm-hmm. Yes? I see it. Everyone's taking with their hands. Yeah. You, see, you don't see gloves. I don't see gloves. You see hands. And I see my own hands. I see my own hands also. I think <laughs> we're all guilty of hands. I'm just... This is like... I feel comfortable <laughs> Sunday morning. We're just going to just be all out there. All right. Anyway, back to our story. So... You, you may have an algorithm for how you pick the apple. Like, you may want an apple that's not so red. Well, first of all, there's different types of red apples. right? Even within the genre of red apple, there's the gala apples, there's the, hold on, help me out here, the jazz apples, the fuj- Fuji's are red? Fuji, Honeycrisp, which are always the most expensive ones, which are they, though? Really? Are they? One second, can we talk about this for a second? All right, guys, we got to talk about apples. Huh? Yeah, a little too hyped up on this. They are a little hyped up, right? I like, I like the Gala. Gala, I don't know how to pronounce it. I like those. I really like those. It's a good combination to me also. You don't like, want the mealy. You want the crisp Thank you. Thank you. I like the crisp apple. I also like sweet versus like tart. I think Honeycrisp is a little bit tart. Am I wrong oh, no, no, a little? Right. Yeah, I'm just got to, whatever. All right, that's my own stuff. Back to our story. So you chose now between the different types of apples. That's not a free choice. That's a logical choice. You, you use the logical part of your brain on what you like to make that choice. That wasn't pure choice. Pure choice, let me let me let me step a half a step back. Level two choice is what we would call random choice. It's when you're choosing between two things that are virtually identical. It's not like two things that each have pros and cons, and you prefer the pros of one over the cons of the other. That is a choice, but that's that's too easy. That's first level choice. Second level choice is where you're choosing randomly. And this is, let's say, let's go with the apples, two identical apples within the same genre family of apples. Or really, let's go to a better example. Or, I don't know if it's better, but a more clear example would be you step out of the fruit and vegetable aisle or section and you step into a different aisle. A product made from tomatoes that we call ketchup. So let's say you're buying ketchup. And I'm not going to get into the whole ketchup debate. You know, does ketchup go with this food or that food? We'll save that for Reddit. Here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. Imagine you walk into the ketchup aisle. And you're a Heinz guy. Why are you a Heinz guy? I don't know, but you're a Heinz guy. Because you could get the Hunts or the, the store brand. Pittsburgh. Huh? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. That's right. That's why you're a Heinz person, because 57. Heinz Field, representing strong. So you go for the Heinz. And you see two bottles of Heinz ketchup. You ever see that? They put them side by side. And that, One doesn't say no low sodium. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Same label. Same exact label. Same stuff. And now you're like, I guess I'll choose one. They're the same, right? I'll choose one. On some, at some point, you have to choose. If they're next to each other, you have to choose one over the other. Probably we don't think too much about it because who cares? It's the same exact item put on the shelf side by side. Sometimes they only have you know, a, a line of that same item and the next item is a different item but let's just say you have a a side by side display right or one of those end caps with a whole shelf right special boom you got the ketchup straight across the shelf your hand has to touch and grab one of them it doesn't have to but if you want to walk away with a ketchup bottle you have to grab one of them what determines which bottle of ketchup you're going to choose what determines that Random. Completely random. Because there's no advantage of one ketchup bottle over the other. Correct? It's just whatever, you're scanning the shelf, and you reach out and you grab one of them. This would be an example of what we would call random choice. So we have... The first level, which I called logical choice... Which is basically, you're looking at the features, you're looking at the qualities of one over the other. This has this quality, that has that quality, I like this one over that one. You're car shopping. Yeah, not nowadays. Don't buy a car now. Apparently, it's really difficult to buy a car. That's what everyone's saying. I haven't taken a look in a while, but they're saying the market is, is, uh, is bonkers. But let's say you're looking for a car. And you're like, okay, I need a car to transport the family. I need X number of seats, and I need the safety features, and I need to be within this price point that I'm looking, you know, new or used or a combination of the two, whatever it is. And you narrow down your, your, your choice. And you land, you end up with one car. This make, this model, this year, you're like, that's going to be the car for us. It, it fits all, it checks all the boxes that we want. Fantastic. You made a choice. You buy that car. You made a choice. But there was a very lo- it was a very logical choice. It wasn't like... It was a choice that was based on your mind. It was based on logical deduction or a logical process. I figured out what I needed. I looked at the options. I compared facts and figures and price and safety features and other features of the car, and I decided this is what we're going to do. Okay, so it's a choice, logical choice. Level two choice, that's level one. Level two choice is a little bit freer in the sense that it's less compelled by some sort of factor that is almost making you choose it. Does that make sense? It's like when it came to the car, it's almost like the features themselves called out to you, beckoned you to choose it. Choose me, look at these features. That guy, that car doesn't have those features. I have these features. You want these features. Boom. That's level one choice. Level two choice is features are identical. The look is identical. The item is identical. Everything is the same. The only difference is which one you're going to choose. It's not even a difference. The only only question is, which one of these two identical items will you choose? But they look the same. Where does that choice come from? So I'm going to give you um, a paraphrase of what it says in Kabbalah. That choice comes from a mental or spiritual flip of the coin. It's coming not from a logical deduction and analysis. Like, logically, this one makes more sense. Makes more sense. They're the same item. They're identical, two bottles of ketchup. What do you mean logically it makes more sense? Logically it makes more sense to choose the one on the right over the left, or the left over the right. There's no feature that calls out to you and says, choose me over the other one. So what does it come down to? A flip of the coin, right? It's like any time that you can't make a decision, and you might say, "Not." I'm not recommending this in life. This is not a life, a life, um, life advice here. But it's like any time in life where you might say, Look, I don't know what to do. Flipping a coin, let's see who goes. Uh, let's see who goes first. Like for example, in football, football season is starting soon. Yes, do we know this? Yes, at some point, fall. UGA. 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 Your yeah, Sandrine's son now went to UGA. So go dogs. Go. Not. He's not on the team. <laughs> not yet not yet you never know never say never so here's the deal before the game starts there's always the ceremonial coin flip they flip the coin to see who well who either kicks the ball kick, kicks the ball to the other team or receives the kick the opening kick why do they flip a coin because how else do you choose? You have two teams. Each one either wants to go first or wants the other guy to go first. So how do you choose? what you play favorites? Like, you know, I like your uniforms. You guys go first. Like, what? <laughs> how do you choose? So in the absence of a logical formula to decide which one to choose, what do you do? You revert to what we call chance. Random chance. You know, you flip a coin, however the coin lands, it is what it is. The same thing would be true in my supermarket example. You go to the supermarket, you're at the end cap, Heinz ketchup on sale, instead of, 279, it's now 229. Look at that. All the prices have gone up recently. You, know, you guys know that? You've been shopping lately? Everything's at least 30% hot? Yes, it's... Okay. Whatever. That's, we'll, 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 we'll leave inflation for another conversation. And, or whatever it is, price increases, and you, ch- you, you choose one bottle of ketchup over the other. It's on sale, you want it, but which one, you choose randomly. What compels you to choose that one bottle over seven other identical bottles? A coin flip in your brain. Now, you might say, who cares? Who cares? Listen. I don't care. Eat ketchup, don't eat ketchup, that bottle, not that bottle. But we're exploring the process that goes on under the hood of the human being. We're exploring the process. Processes that happen subconsciously. We're not even aware of it. We're aware of level one choice. Level one choice is us figuring it out. Which one do I like better? We read the labels. Right? Aha! This one looks healthier than that one. I'm going to go with this one. This car... Is a better value than that card? Done. This apple tastes better than that apple? Done. I like vanilla over chocolate? Done. Level one choice. (laughs) Yaakov is writing, the ketchup God made me do it. I'm assuming you mean made me choose it. Right, exactly. So level one choice, we know where it comes from. It comes from our logical brain. We're sifting through facts and features and making the best choice that we can understand in the moment. But level two choice, it's not a logical formula. It's not a logical process. It's two, I, two options that are equal. Flipping a coin and saying, all right, this is the one. Why this one? So that one? I mean, like, I don't know. I, this one because this one. I don't know. I don't know why. I can't explain. Why. It's not logical. It's just a choice. And the level of choice... On a level of choice, this is actually a pure form of choice. Why do I say this? Why do I say it's a pure form of choice? There isn't any incentive either way or the other. Right. There isn't any incentive one way or the other. There isn't any logical persuasion. Right? Seduction. I'm not being seduced by one over the other. It's pure. It's free. It's... When we, when we say the phrase Bechir in Hebrew, Bechir that means free choice. Right? What's the free of, of choice? Bechir free choice. It's free of any compulsion. It's not being compelled by any feature, um, trait, quality of that thing, nothing of it is compelling me to choose it. It's almost like, just get back to my to level one choice. It's not so free. Not such a free choice, level one. You kind of had to choose it, right? Because of what you wanted. You wanted a car that was safe for your family. So you chose the safe car that you can afford. Is that a choice? I mean, I guess, but it's not a free choice. It's not perfectly free of all, you know, compulsion. It kind of compelled you to choose it. Once you started looking into it, the choice was clear. So it's not the freest type of choice. The second type of choice, second level choice, where they're all identical, right? Right? All the ketchup bottles look the same, got the same stuff inside, same amount of ketchup, and you're choosing one. I I know it sounds completely silly, but again, exploring the under the hood process, that's free choice on a perhaps on a deeper level. Because the choice is free of the compulsion, of the, of, of the, The features, the qualities, the traits of the item that you're choosing. It's not about it, it's about you. You made that choice. Level one choice, that choice chose you almost. This level of choice, level two choice, you chose it. So I'll give you a spiritual example Yom Kippur. Okay, I hate to be the bearer of news. I'm not going to say bad news. But, all right, here's here's the truth. You ready? You guys know what I'm going to say. Everyone's like, oh, he's going to break out some calendar reminders. Yes, Rosh Hashanah is around the corner. Rosh Hashanah is two weeks away. And like a day and a half. And then a week and a half after Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year is Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. The Torah tells us what happened back in the day in the temple times, temple times, on the day of Yom Kippur. What happened? There were various offerings that were brought on behalf of the Jewish people to achieve, to signify the idea of atonement, forgiveness. And you may be familiar with this. There were two animals that featured prominently in the day services, there were two goats. One name was Billy. I'm kidding. These were two goats, and today, as we all know, goat is an acronym for Greatest of All Time. So, anyway, so there were two goats, and they had to, and and one was de, was designated La for God, and one La for the wilderness. One was banished to the wilderness and one was offered as an offering to God in the temple, Lashem. And the way it worked was they brought the two goats in the temple, in front of the temple stairs that led up to the, to the heichal to the inner chamber. And there the two goats were, were standing side by side. And these two goats had to be identical. Identical goats in size in color, in maybe even the sound that the goats made. The goats had to be identical to each other. In other words, no, nothing that said, nothing that called out. You know, this goat would be better for the offering, and this goat would be better to send away. There was, there was to be no feature, if you will, of the goat that called out to you and said, this one for this, that one for that. And the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, who did the service on Yom Kippur himself. Well, with some help, but he did the whole shebang from A to Z. He went in front of the goat and if you've been with us on high holiday services, in the main service, on the, a- the afternoon of Yom Kippur, you've seen me, you've heard me do this. We have handouts and pictures and full color illustrations and all this stuff. The Kohen Gadol standing there in his white garments in front of these two goats and there's a box. The box has two Gold squares. Lots, lots. And each one is engraved with a different word. One says, La Hashem, to God. And one says, La Azazel, for the wilderness. To be sent away and banished. And he puts his hand into the box. It's mixed around. I guess just 50-50 chance here, right? He pulls out one and he places it on the right goat. La Shem, the left one, La Zazel, whatever it was, he randomly chooses. That's a case of what we would call random choice. Flip of the coin, throwing lots, drawing lots, lottery, whatever you want to call it, it is random. You're not choosing it based on logic. You're not choosing it based on features. You're not choosing it based on qualities. You're not choosing it based on uh, a a complicated, you know, examination of, of all the, the options on the ground. There's two identical goats in front of you. Randomly you're associating one with God, one for the, the, sac, the offering, and one to be sent away, and it's not logically chosen. It's by lots. That's level two choice. I'm hoping so far so good. Yes? Makes sense? Checking in? Yes? Thumbs up if this makes sense? Yes? Okay. Level three choice. Level three choice we have not yet uh, spoken about. This is the highest level of choice as explored in Kabbalah. And I'll tell you, just if you want to know the source, what I'm explaining to you this morning is derived from the Kabbalistic, the Hasidic, the Rebbe's interpretation, in various um, areas of Jewish thought on the topic of free choice. This is a distillation. Did I say that right? Distillation? Something like that. It's being distilled from many, many teachings down into three, hopefully clear, concise levels of choice. So level one is logical choice. Level two is random choice. Flip of a coin in the the head. Or drawing lots, flipping the coin practically on the ground. Level three choice. Level three choice is what we would call quintessential choice. Or essential choice. Level three choice is Where two things are identical, trying to see how to set this up. Two things are identical on some level. And yet, on the deepest of levels, you feel compelled to choose one over the other. Not because, not because necessarily of the features of one over the other, but because you choose, because you chose to choose one over the other. Does this make any sense? Sort of? Like an intuition? Kind of like an intuition. So I want to distinguish it from the first two levels of choice. The first level of choice is the qualities. It's like it shows itself. Okay. So you're not, you're not really choosing. It shows you almost. Second level choice, you chose because there's no difference of the two items. So you did choose, but you didn't really choose. You flipped a coin, whether a literal coin or a coin in your head, right? It's not that significant. You just, okay, it was random. Third level choice is, it combines the qualities of both. Where the choice is free because the two items are identical. But the choice is not just random and superficial. The choice is a deep choice. You assert your choice in this environment where it could have gone either way. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing compelling about one over the other. So it's you doing the choosing and the choice that you're making so it's completely free insofar as, you know, it's not a compelled choice. It's not like the thing forced you to choose it. You chose it freely. At the same time, it's not a superficial choice. It's coming from a deep place. You are choosing to choose. You, you hear, you hear that, that, that little nuance? You're choosing to choose. Asserting yourself in a choice that otherwise could be somewhat random. It's hard to come up with an example of this level of choice. But probably the best example would be the one that's brought in Kabbalah. It's definitely the most emotional example. It's not ketchup, it's not apples, it's not cars. So in Kabbalah, there's a conversation about what, it, what is it that drives a person to literally give up their life for their faith? And one could, you know, when encountering this conversation, well, what makes someone be ready to give up their life for their faith, one could say, well, they really believe in their faith. They believe strongly and deeply in their faith. That could be questioned. I and mean, that makes sense until you get to a scenario where the person did not live their life committed to their faith. So you have a person who maybe didn't live day in, day out, committed to their faith. Suddenly, push comes to shove, suddenly, a big moment, a big test of faith comes around, and they're they're, they're present, And they're making this choice to be ready to give up their life for their faith. For the same faith that that a day before, right, you couldn't, at least externally, see that commitment. Right? So where did that come from? You tell me that you have somebody who's committed to their faith day in, day out. That's all they live and they breathe their faith. It makes sense that if somebody is trying to schlep it away from them, they're going to hold on to it but somebody, even even by pain of death, but somebody who didn't live with this level of commitment, somebody who didn't live with this level of at least obvious commitment to faith, so where does this this incredible um, dedication and commitment come from, or, or where does the choice to give up one's life for their faith come from when they didn't live their life up until now with that level of commitment. Outwardly. In other words, this be very, very, um, very clear. I'm going to try to be very clear. Somebody said you, you have an option. Somebody tells a per- person A. You have an option go to synagogue Saturday morning or play a round of golf? Golf. It's not even a question. Okay. Okay. Same person. You have a choice. Go to synagogue Saturday morning or be killed? Synagogue. How does that make any sense? How does it make any sense? How is it that when you have a choice, yeah, between two things, a person, the same person might choose what's more fun or what seems more fun or more, whatever it is. And the same person, you tell them, yeah, and now the stakes are higher because you well you can either choose the, the, the Jewish thing or, you know, that's it. And they're like, the Jewish thing. How does that make any sense? Even when it was e huh? No, but you would think they would choose to live. I'm sorry, did I not? Maybe I didn't set up the choice. I didn't set up the choice well. Did I not? Was that not clear? Well, you said you're choosing between dying and going to synagogue. No, no, no. no, Right, right. So I'm sorry. Right, no. So I I didn't. Right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not not explaining that well. Let me try again. Choice between synagogue and golf, golf. A choice between, let let me try this again. The choice would be between going to synagogue and being killed for, to, for going to synagogue or to relinquish one's faith. To say, I'm sorry, sorry for not being clear at all. Sorry, my bad. I, and this was me trying to be clear. Okay. So the choice is between, right, um, the Jewish thing, going to synagogue or Renouncing one's faith. But renouncing one's faith allows a person to live. Affirming one's faith is going to end up with, a, with that person, God forbid, losing their life. So now it's a life and death choice. So you would say, oh, hold on, logically, like I can predict where this is going to go. When it wasn't life or death, the person chose the, the non-Jewish choice. So when it's life and death, Uh, for sure the person would choose the non-Jewish choice, right? Why would the person choose the Jewish choice and be killed when they would choose the non-Jewish choice for just golf, right? Does that make sense, what I'm saying now? I feel like, um, all right, might as well just throw this analogy out the window because it's not working. All right, whatever. In my head, it makes sense. Here's the point. The point is that there's a third level of choice, and this is a level of choice that doesn't make any sense but it comes from the essence of who we are. This is a choice that's not based on logical features and it's not random. It's essential. It's a choice that is so deep that when push comes to shove, one cannot choose anything other than this choice. And it affirms who they are, not what they like. That's level one choice. But who they are as a human being. This is the highest level of choice. This is like the choice to protect a child, your child. It's not a logical choice. Well, what are my options? Right? This option, that option, which one makes sense? Okay, fine, I'll protect my child. It's not a logical, it's not a logical consideration. There's no cheshbon, there's no logical cheshbon, there's no, cheshbon means calculation. There's no logical calculation that takes place. Pros and cons. Okay, if I do this, it's a deep-seated essential choice that really is not a choice. The choice to step up and protect one's child, right? It's a choice because you could choose not to, God forbid. So when you choose to do that, where is that choice coming from? Is it coming from level one a logical choice? Well, logically, here are my options, I choose protecting my child? No, it's not a logical choice. It's not a logical choice. It's not limited to logic. Well, maybe if it's, if it's your child, uh, maybe if it was protecting somebody else's child, maybe, because I mean, it's your child. I mean, it's yours. Right, so that's, that's why I want to go with this example. Of, you're not gonna love somebody else's child as much as you love. Right. Your own. So here, right, so what I'm, and that's why I use the example of your child, because when it's your child, you don't start thinking about it in logical terms, like I'm buying a car, which one should I buy? Or I'm at the ice cream buffet, which ice cream do I like? It's not like, okay, this option or that option. It's not even, it doesn't begin on the level of logical consideration to weigh the choices. Nor is it, so it's not level one choice, nor is it level two choice. It's not level two choice, which is, oh, it's a... Well, it could go either way. All right, flip the coin. I'll be there for my kid. No, it's not level two choice either. What I'm trying to say is there there are choices that we make in life that don't fit into the paradigm of level one choice, and they don't fit into the paradigm of level two choice. Where do they come from? A third dimension of choice. And that is a choice that is so deep, as Adam said, your child is so deeply connected that there's no option not to be there for them. There's no option you cannot choose otherwise. Why? Because it's essential. This is th- level three choice, which I'm calling essential choice. It's a choice that, es- that, that is really a proclamation of the deepest part of yourself, an affirmation of the deepest part of yourself saying and proclaiming, this is who I am, this is what I am, this is what I choose. It's not logical. It's not random. It's essential. You might call it instinctual. You might call it, we use the word instinctual, I think, for level two choice. This is something far deeper than choosing randomly which bottle of ketchup. This is, I cannot choose otherwise because this is part of me. I cannot let this go. Getting back to my Judaism example, which I don't think I articulated clearly, but maybe in the punchline, it'll make some sense. At the end, when a Jew, and this has happened, I mean, there's, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of first-hand accounts. Well, maybe... I guess firsthand, people witnessing this happening throughout the years, whether it was in the times of the temple or the times of the Crusades or the time of the expulsions, um, the times of uh, pogroms or at the times of the Holocaust. Whenever through Jewish history, when Jews were faced with a choice of either keeping their faith and dying or giving up their faith and living, Jews consistently, not everyone, but many consistently chose their faith, even when, even when, if you went to them the day before and said, how important is your faith to you? I'll go golfing. Even though it wasn't in a day-to-day external level, something that was an obvious priority, when push came to shove, that was the priority. Why? Why? Because it's quintessential choice. Because when you get to the core, there's only one option. And that's the deepest level of choice. The deepest level of choice is, and this is not true with every choice. When you go to, when you're choosing a ketchup from the shelf, it's not quintessential choice. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there are certain moments, certain occasions, certain choice scenarios that when we make that choice, it's not coming from a logical conclusion, and it's not coming from a random flip of the coin. It's coming from a place deep inside ourselves from which, from that place, from which we couldn't have chosen otherwise. We absolutely there was no other option than this choice. It wasn't even possible to choose otherwise. So you ask the Jew, why did you choose to give up your life? Right? For your Judaism. And they would say. Because I'm Jewish. What's, what's the option? Well, the option is to live. What's the option? I don't even hear the option. Like, what's the option? This is who I am. I'm not going to give up my identity. This is who I am. An assertion of, ad- of identity. Asserting who I am. It's not a logical choice. It's not a random choice. It's an essential choice. It's saying, this is who I am. And it's, it's choosing, so to speak, Right? Because it could be a scenario of choice based on, not the brain, not a coin toss or coin flip. It's based on an ex- a, a, a manifestation, an outflow of the deepest part of my being. So I have three scenarios in which this could possibly take place. There may be more, but these are the three scenarios. When it comes to one's own life, when it comes to one's one's own family, and when it comes to one's deepest faith and beliefs. I don't know that there's many more things that exist on such a deep level. Typically in mystical, Jewish mysticism, these are the three categories of things that exist on that deep level. self Family and, and faith. Those are, those are the three elements that, that, that manifest on this deep level. So we have now a tale of three choices. We can choose things based on logic. I've logically decided and concluded that this makes sense, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> let, me, let me readdress this now with this new information. Now, now that we have all three levels, let, let's go a drop deeper. On level one, you chose a car. You made a decision. You chose a car because you figured it out. This makes sense for my family, for my, what I need. Good. Right? It has the number of seats. It has, the number, it has the features, the safety features. Let's say consumer reports or the government or whatever it is comes out with a report that afternoon, two hours later, that says, oh, we just did more tests on this car. It's not safe. It's not safe. So what are you, you, you going to do next? re Well, let's say you didn't buy the car yet. Let's say you decided to buy the car. So what's your next thought? Not Not, not that car anymore. Why? Because it wasn't essential. It wasn't you. You needed to have the car. It was logical. So the moment the logic changes, well, then the decision changes. Because my choice is not a product of my identity. My choice is a product of the features and the qualities of that thing. If that changes, well, then my choice changes. Because it's not me choosing. It's that thing choosing me. So when that changes, my choice changes. It's not deep, and the ketchup bottles are not a deep choice. I could have easily taken the ketchup on the right or the left. It doesn't make a difference. And I know it's a silly example because essentially it's a silly level of choice. I'm sorry. I'm not like, de- I'm not trying to like you know mock that level of choice. I'm just saying it's not. It's not a deep level of choice. Not an essential choice. But that third level of choice is a level of choice that even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it makes all the sense in the world to save my life and just say that I'm giving up my faith. Just say it. You don't have to believe it. Just say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to say it. Why? Because this is who I am. And my essence is now choosing my way. My essence is choosing who I am and what I do and what I say. And once my essence comes out, there's no other choice. So these are the three levels of choice. Why are these important? These are important on, on multiple levels. One is to understand how we relate to God. And one, another level is to understand how God relates to us. We relate to God on all three levels, and God relates to us on all three levels. We relate to God on all three levels as follows. We can choose God based on logic. This makes sense. I choose God because it makes sense. Logically, it makes sense. We could choose God based on a random choice. All right, you know what? Today, I'll do a mitzvah. Today, I'll do something for God. Why? I don't know. I'm just going to do it. Random flip of the coin. That's it. Or we can choose God because it's who we are. This is our connection. This is our inner identity. The same thing is true when God chooses us. It could be either because of our qualities and features. It could be as a product of... It could be a product of... um, It could be a random choice that God randomly chooses us. Or it could be an essential choice. That God couldn't have chosen anything other than us because God essentially chooses us. And we'll see today... um, we'll see today in the next 30 minutes or so, as we conclude chapter 9, sorry, discourse 9, and jump into discourse number 10 of our text, Overcoming Folly. We're going to see, text that looks like this, we're going to see how God's choice for us exists on these various dimensions, and how our choice for God can exist on these dimensions as well. And we're going to see the power of the essential choice. In asserting who we are, and God asserting um, who he is as well. Okay, let me check in before we jump into the text. Let me check in to make sure that these three levels of choice make sense, clear, and yes, Quick Susan. Quick question. I know in the Christian tradition, there is, martyrdom is something. You right. die for your faith what is that called in the Jewish tradition? Okay, so let me repeat the question. Susan is asking, in other faiths, we have this idea of being a martyr, of giving up one's life for one's faith. Is that a Jewish thing? And if so, what is it called? So I'll clarify. In Judaism, it's not considered to be a goal. I'm not saying it is in another, I'm not not comparing, I'm just saying in Judaism, to give up one's life for one's faith is not necessarily considered to be a goal or an ideal. It's more of like, being committed to one's faith, even if that's what it takes. The example that's brought, and I'll share with you a discourse from 1940, a discourse penned by the previous Rebbe, the sixth Chabad Rebbe. 1940, he wrote about the difference between Rabbi Akiva and Abraham. What's the story with with both? So, Rabbi Akiva was one of of the ten martyrs who who was killed by the Roman emperor. It's a horrific story. The Roman emperor came to the Jewish community and he said, I've been studying the Bible and it turns out that Joseph was kidnapped and sold as a slave. And in your Jewish Bible, the punishment for that is death. Human trafficking is a capital crime in, in Torah. We actually had it in yesterday's Torah portion. If you you kidnap someone and sell them as a slave, it's liable for the death penalty. So he said there were 10 brothers of Joseph. 10 brothers. Benjamin was the youngest brother. There were 12 total, 12 sons. Joseph was the one kidnapped, and the youngest brother, Benjamin, was not around. He was a little kid. There were 10 brothers that kidnapped Joseph and sold him as a slave, and he went down to Egypt. They were never punished. So he asked them, well, he started out by setting them up. He said, What's your punishment in, Jew- in the Jewish tradition what's the punishment for human trafficking kidnapping and sale death so he said um, when was there ever a punishment meted out for the brothers now to answer the question would be an elaborate conversation that's not for right now but this is this is the dialogue so he basically said since the times he gathered a group of rabbis since the times of the, the tribes the 10, 12 tribes, there, didn't, there hasn't existed a group of, of great righteous people like you guys. That's what he said. And thus, I am going to meet out punishment for an unpunished crime. And he killed, he executed 10 of the greatest sages, including the great Rabbi Akiva. Says, Rabbi Akiva, they combed his flesh with iron combs. They ripped his flesh off his body. Wow. Yeah. Literally ripped his flesh off his body to torture. Not just not execution, but torture. They wrapped another rabbi in a Torah scroll and lit it on fire. Like doused it in, 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 in gas, whatever, some combustible material. Lit the Torah scroll on fire and put wool over his heart to prolong his sufferings so that he wouldn't die right away. Horrific, horrific. Another rabbi, they, they 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 skin, they they flayed the skin off of his face. Just I, I it, it's we read about this twice a year, on Yom Kippur in the afternoon, and on the ninth of Av, B'av, the fast day. Absolutely horrific. It says that Rabbi Akiva, as he was being tortured, he was saying the Shema, prayer. And does it say that he was smiling also or not? Does it say that? Who can fact check me on this, on the story? David, I see. Do you remember the story? Was he smiling or we don't know? All right. I don't remember if he was smiling also or just saying the Shema. And they said to him, to this extent, you're even saying the Shema, even in this moment, you're still with God like this. So he said to his students, he said, all my life, I've been waiting for the opportunity to fulfill what it says in the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Which means even if they take your life, still love God. And all, I've been saying it, that, I, 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 that I've been talking about this, this mitzvah, this, this ideal of loving God, even to the ultimate extent. And now I've reached that moment of being able to to, to express my love for God even in this moment where my life is being taken because of my connection with God and Judaism. So I shouldn't be saying the Shema. I shouldn't be be connected. So that was, that was what he said. Because the Shema says this, this idea of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Which our sages say, what does it mean with all your with all your, with all your soul? It means, even if they take your soul, even if even if it costs your life, still love God. And so Rabbi Kiba was saying, so now it's costing me my, my life, so I'm going to say the Shema, and, and, and because I've been waiting for this moment all my life. So the previous Rabbi said, this is a person who was looking on some level to be a martyr. But Abraham was a different type of martyr, so to speak. He was famously thrown into an oven, a fiery furnace by the King Nimrod, for his monotheistic beliefs. He survived. But he wasn't looking to be a martyr. He wasn't looking to die. He was looking to be faithful to his beliefs. And if it cost him his life, so be it. But he wasn't looking for it. And in that discourse, the previous Rebbe says, the ideal is Abraham and not Rebbe Akiva. So there's a long way to answer your question. The ideal is not to look to be a martyr, but rather to be true to one's faith and come what may. In other words, if somebody else is going to... I'm not going to speak by myself. If, if, if somebody wants to take someone's life for their beliefs, that's on them, and then they're ready to accept that. But it's not something necessarily that we look for. So to answer your question, is martyrdom considered to be some, a goal in Judaism? No. Is it considered the yeah. ultimate expression of one's faith? Yes. Are we supposed to look for that? No, we should hopefully live with our Judaism and not die for our Judaism. But you just, you just lie? Yeah, but it says in Jewish law not to. Yeah,
1: but I mean, because, law,
0: I mean you're not supposed to kill people either, but if somebody kills right. to kill you, I right. you kill that person. No, 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 for sure you so kill you a person. War. No, I, No, for sure, for sure. No, but the question is, does one renounce one's faith? It says there are three things that you don't do even to save your life. One is kill someone else, not the, not the one who's threatening your life. Yes, self-defense, 100%. But let's say a person says you've got to kill a third party or else, right? Yeah, then you can't kill someone to save your own life. Right. Idolatry, which is, you know, pledging allegiance to some other, other um, uh, deity, etc. And adultery. So those are the three, those are the three um, I don't know, just to mix metaphors or whatever, mixed language, three cardinal sins, so to speak, in Judaism. Those are the three sins that, like, whatever, that are, not, that, are, that are off the table. So, but getting back to this idea. This idea of choosing one's faith, asserting one's faith, affirming one's faith, is not the product of a logical choice. Well, it makes sense. On the contrary, if one was using logic... One would say what Adam said. Well, it makes sense. Just say that you'll say that you're, you know, pledging allegiance to something else. Who cares? Save your life. By the way, there were many who did that, famously in Spain, in nineteen forty, in fourteen ninety two, when the when, when the when the Inquisition happened. Yeah, yeah, We have to be clear on terms here. The Inquisition is different than the expulsion. Let's explain. The expulsion was in fourteen ninety two on tishabav on the ninth day of Av. July uh, 1492 was the date that the Spanish government said all Jews need to leave Spain, need to have left Spain by that date. That's what they said. If you want to remain in Spain, you can't take your stuff with you, whatever. You had had, had to leave. They they gave warning. They gave advance warning. But by by that date, you had to be out. If you wanted to stay, there's an option to stay. But to stay, you have to officially convert out of the faith. Many Jews left. There were many Jews that stayed. And what did they do? They, they said, we convert. They said they converted. But secretly, they remained true to their faith. That's what, brought, that's what created the Inquisition. What was the Inquisition? What's pshat, what is the meaning of in, 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 to, to the Inquisition? To inquire about? What does it mean? It means that you're looking to see is it true or not and so they would get tips about jewish families that had allegedly converted that were secretly observing shabbat or holidays or mitzvot or circumcisions or jewish other other jewish rituals and they would find them and they would burn them at the stake that's what happened straight up auto de Fass. they would they would um, that was the inquisition the inquisition was this whole committee that they created to figure out who, who had lied, who had not truly embraced um, another faith. So that, that that's that. But there's a big discussion in, in Halach and in Jewish law, like what's the, you know, what, what should one do? And the consensus is that no, one should not even outwardly now, one should not even outwardly con- uh, pretend to convert outside of the faith. Now. We're very careful not to judge anyone who who, may, who had to make that choice and who chose to do that, because how could somebody who never had to face that choice say, well, I think that choice wasn't right? They should have left everything and left their left their. How could anyone? That's the ultimate, judginess, and that's not that's not that's not cool. So we don't judge anyone else, but in halacha, if the question would come up, the ideal answer would be, not to not not to even outwardly. Um, Uh, um, proclaim something else. And here's the point. The point is really less of what we should or shouldn't do, but more of a, a simple question. When somebody who the day before didn't exhibit such passion for their faith, today is willing to put their life on the line for their faith, not even externally to suggest that they converted out of their faith, where does that come from? It's not logical. It's not random. It's quintessential. Level three choice. All right, so with, it, with this in mind, with this under our belts, let's jump into our text. Our text is exploring um, what seems to be an unrelated topic. Success of evil. How does evil su- succeed? And we've been explaining and, and trust by the end of the class, my goal is hopefully we'll have connected all the dots and tied this into a, a nice little loop here. But the question that we're really asking at the core of our conversation in the last several weeks is, how is it? that evil succeeds. Why do bad people sometimes have good fortune? Where does that come from? So um, let's pass these around. I'm going to pull up the text in a moment. Oh, that was a very poor attempt. Sorry. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pull up the text here on the screen. And let's jump into this conversation. This is the last little bit I don't know why I saw a red battery symbol. This is the last little bit of chapter of discourse number 9, and then we're going to jump into discourse number 10. Okay, so we are on page 152. So please turn, if you have the booklets here, please turn to page 152. Online, I have you guys covered. We're already on 152 on my screen. Okay. Here we go. Hishdaushalot versus Infinite Continued. So we've been talking about two aspects of God. One as God operates and is manifest in the system of creation. In other words, as God projects himself in the process. There's a second dimension of God or second reality of God as God is as God is outside the system entirely. So level 1 is as God is inside the system. God created the system of creation. God manifests within that system. God creates those rules and operates within those rules as those rules and as that structure is created. So that's one aspect. And then there's God beyond the rules, completely infinite beyond. This is what we're talking about right here on page 152. Let's begin. The infinite light, however. Does everyone have that? Yes? Okay. The infinite light, however, transcending the entire system of al Shalut, I added that word, is bestowed in a state of makif not harbored in vessels. In other words, the infinite light does not play by any rules, does not need to play by rules. It's not bound by any rules or regulations. In terms, sorry, in these terms, the question of being fit for the revelation of the light or vitality is irrelevant. Does the infinite light care if you are ready to receive it or not? Of course not. The infinite light just shines infinitely. It's not operating in a user-friendly way because it doesn't, it's not about the user. The lower aspect is about creating a system and working within a framework and fitting with the user and making sure it's user-friendly. That's the lower dimension of the divine. The higher dimension, the infinite light, operates on its own terms, not in the terms of a recipient. So again, I'm going to repeat the second sentence in these terms. The question of being fit for the revelation of the light (coughs) or vitality is irrelevant. For the infinite light has no need of the vessels and is as readily elicited into an inappropriate place i.e. that is a ves- that is not a vessel or an instrument for the infinite light as into a deserving place the infinite light is as home so to speak in an undeserving vessel as a deserving vessel because the infinite light is not thinking about vessels not thinking about recipient the infinite light is just shining purely and holy holy as in w h o l l y like whole foods holy right not holy So that which is in the box, that which is constrained by the constraints of the recipient needs to take the recipient in mind. If you're teaching class, you want to make sure your students are understanding, you're going to have to cut it down to the level of the recipient. But if it's an infinite experience, if it's just about sharing on your terms, then the student understands, they don't understand, they could understand, they can't understand. There's no one in the room. It doesn't make a difference. You're still shining. Thus, back inside middle of that paragraph that begins, uh, that's captioned by that Hishashal, verse Infinite Continued, thus even the klipot and sitra achra and transgressors can receive from there though they are not fitting vessels by any means. Let me explain the significance of that sentence. He's basically saying this is where evil can receive divine vitality and energy. It's from a space of infinite light that transcends all analysis of viability of the recipient. So, let me say this as clear as I possibly can. There there are two dimensions that we're referring to here. Dimension number one takes into consideration the credentials of the recipient. You need to show your ID card. Are you appropriate? are you fitting? Are you credentialed? Are you, yeah, you're a vessel, you're ready? Okay, this is what you get. The second level, which is the higher level, is this infinite light level. It's not looking at the recipient whatsoever. No ideas are being checked. If no ideas are being checked, then anyone can come and get. This is where evil and by definition, by definition, evil means that which is not a vessel for godliness. Even evil can receive vitality on this, from this level. Again, back inside. He repeats it. Here, Not repeating, but he's, he's emphasizing one more time. Since vessels are not needed in any event. In other words, since vessels are anyway not needed to receive the light. The issue of order and system is irrelevant. There's no order. There's no system. There's no, if there's no recipient, sorry, if you don't need it, it's infinite light. So the vessels are irrelevant. So once vessels are irrelevant, you're not looking at who's holding the vessel or if there's a vessel, If there's not a vessel. There's no order. There's no system. The infinite light, last sentence of that paragraph, is bestowed lavishly because it is in a state of boundlessness. It is literally infinite light shining infinitely to any and all recipients. And you're probably wondering, so why do we spend so much time on choice? And here's why. Level one choice, we said, is logical choice. Level one looks at the logic and says, Are you appropriate for me to invest? Am I investing in this car or that car? Are you a vessel to receive my money? Are you a customer? Are you a partner that I should invest in? Are you with me on this? Level one choice looks at things logically and says, Should I spend my hard-earned money to buy this vehicle or not? And some vehicles are vessels and some are not vessels. When I say vessels, some are worthy of your money and some are not worthy of your money. And the one that is worthy of your money, you'll give your money and you'll buy that car. And the one that's not worthy, you're not going to give. And so you're looking and you're looking, you're deciding. But then there's the level of random choice. What's random choice? It looks the same to the infinite light. You know, when you're in an airplane, really high. Yeah. People on the ground, they all look the same. They're all pixels. Yeah. Little, little pixels on the ground can't distinguish one or the other. Oh, on the ground, ooh, this person, that person looks like this, looks like that. We judge people. We, we discriminate based on various things. Up in the sky, you can't see any of that. The infinite light to the infinite light, right? Good, bad, light, darkness, right? Holy, unholy, looks all the same. You can't distinguish. Are you with me on this? You understand why choice is relevant here, the three Are levels of choice? choice. Yes. An yes. Okay. God's choice and investment. Exactly. So again, level one, which where the light goes into the vessel. So God is looking at the vessel and saying, okay, is it a vessel? Is it an appropriate vessel? Should I invest my light here? Are they holy? Are they kosher? Is it not kosher? Is it a good is it a good space to, to project my light or not? That's level one. That's the lower level where God is taking. The parameters into consideration, but then there's a higher level, infinite light. On the level of infinite light, God is just shining. And all, and everything down here, equally irrelevant. So this has one more mitzvah than the other one. Who cares? Good, bad, or ugly? Who cares? It doesn't make a difference to the infinite light. The vessel doesn't make it. There's no vessel for the infinite light. The infinite light is being so high up that there's no relevancy Relevancy? On the ground. Nothing on the ground is closer or further when you're from an infinite light vantage point. Does that make sense? On an infinite level, you can't get closer or further to infinite. Infinite is, by definition, infinitely greater, which means that whatever shines from that infinite light is as accessible to both good and evil because it's not looking. It's random choice. And on the level of random choice, anything can happen. The light, the coin can be flipped and the light, the infinite light can go to a holy place. And the infinite light can be, the coin can be flipped and it can go to an unholy place. Why? Because it's not looking at the logic of the choice. Oh, no, this, this recipient is not worthy. This recipient is worthy. That's not, that's not the calculus here. There's no calculus here. It's random, r- random flip of the coin which means that there's just as much odds that at the infinite light is going to shine to a holy place as an unholy place because it's so far removed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, my, that was my question last week at the end was that we're all given life. We're all given this ability to have creative force. Right. Is that the infinite yes. light that belongs to all of us? Correct. So Susan's asking, is the fact that we're all infused with divine life and vitality, is that coming from the infinite light? The answer is yes. In other words the very fact that evil still exists and God doesn't just immediately pull it out of circulation. I mean, imagine, imagine you're creating a product and something comes off the product and you're like, well, it's not going to work. It's like, that's not going to, it's going to break the machine or it's breaking the machine. You just pull it out of the line. You just swap it out, right? What happens when it comes to creation? God creates this world, there's a purpose, there's a plan. This is what we believe in, right? There's a purpose, there's a plan. Someone is actively going and destroying the the world. And they're still getting life, vitality. They're not being pulled offline. Where does that come from? So you can say, well, because God wants that, there should be the possibility of free choice, then it's not, okay, all, all of these are good. Without getting into this double idea of choice here. But at the core, it's because of the infinite light. The light shines even to a dark place because on a, on a core, at a core level, it's not looking at the qualities or features of light v. darkness, of good versus bad. It's not looking to say, oh, that's appropriate. That's not appropriate. To the infinite light, there's no cavity, there's no vessel anyway. So you're not looking at the vessel. It's random. Let's continue inside. Let's continue inside. Rabbi, Rabbi, just a clarification, please. Yes. Um- Did you say that God's involved in the logical choice? God is, so there's multiple dimensions. God creates the system, creates the structure, is invested in the system and the structure, and essentially says, right, that if you're following, like if you're bringing value, you're going to get what you need. If you don't bring value, you're not going to get. That's within the system. God also operates outside the system because God is not limited to the system of creation. God created that system, but God exists outside the system. God is infinitely beyond the game, the, the, the game that he created. Right. So on that level, right, there's no vessel, there's no, there's no significance, if you will, to, to all of this. Thus, the light and vitality is equally as accessible to evil as it is to good. And that's a level that I would call random choice. It's when the features and the qualities don't matter. It's when both apples look the same. Both balls of ketchup look the same. But how can they look the same? One is good and one is evil. Okay, because from the vantage point of infinite light, those two look identical. From the vantage point of 35,000 feet, both of those people look exactly the same. They look like a pixel. Yeah, but but they're not the same. Okay, when you're on the ground, they're not the same. When you're above infinite light, they look the same. Let's get back inside. The light, this is the middle paragraph, and he contra- the light within Seder Hishchel shalut, the lower level light, being an inner light, that's invested in vessels, is dimensioned, I like that word, I don't know if it's a good word, I don't know if it's a real word or not, but we're using it, is dimensioned according to the vessel. In other words, it's tailored according to the vessel that it's going into. And the issue of order in Ishtar is, in, is integral. In other words, it, 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 since it's the lower level, it takes into consideration the recipient, and that's how it works. But the light transcending Seder Ishtar Shlut. being an encompassing light, is not bounded and bestows abundantly. Let's continue. This explains the verse from Obadjah. The prophet Obadiah, or Obadjah, says, if you rise like an eagle. And that sounds so beautiful, so inspirational. Uh, they should play that verse like at the beginning of the football game, National, the new national pastime. If you rise like an eagle in Kabbalah is a euphemism for the energy that flows to the force of evil. Because evil raises itself like an eagle to a space of infinite light to receive even though On a lower level, it's not deserving, but once it transcends to the infinite light space, it can take um, energy. Similarly, to the path of the eagle, sorry, similar to, there's a similar verse to the one in Proverbs that says, the path of the eagles in the heavens. What does that mean? Thus do the klipot and sitrach, or the forces of evil, elevate themselves to receive from the supernal Makif the transcendent light for beneficence. From there is not elicited with a judgment and accounting. On that level, everything looks like a pixel. And thus, sure, you can take, sure you can take, not looking at the specific, the specific details of the recipient. Even those that are not null before God, in other words, even those who are not um, subservient and submissive before God. On the contrary, those who completely reject his, his will, can still receive. And the bestowal from there is extremely generous. Not only can they receive from the infinite light, because the infinite light is random, right? It's random. It's not logical. It's random. It's accessible. Not only can they receive, they can receive with extreme, extreme generosity. They can, well, they, they get a lot of energy. For this reason, and here we answer a question that I posed months ago. Why did the wicked prosper? For this reason, he says, idolaters enjoy such success with wealth and glory in this world. And they even dominate, let's continue 154, Israel. And again, this being the contrast, idolaters versus Israel is not necessarily exactly drawn along those lines. It means more of like good versus evil, right? How is it that evil prospers and good guys sometimes finish last? It's because of what we just said. The source from which they receive transcends Seder Hishalshot, it transcends the entire structure of creation. The bestowal to Israel, conversely, is through Torah and mitzvot and comes in a manner of Hishalshot. It's measured, it's very, very much analyzed. While the bestowal to idolaters is from above Seder Hishalshot without reckoning or limitations. And that is why evil can prosper and the wicked can prosper and, and enjoy success. So as we conclude discourse number nine, it's very important to understand what we said and what we, what we didn't say. Here's what we said. And, and if we understand this clearly, I feel like we can then move on to discourse 10 next week in a way that is, that, is, um, that is clear. What we said in discourse number nine is that there are two realities of God, so to speak. Even though God is one, right? We're not splitting God, but God exists on two dimensions. Who are we to say that God can't exist on multiple dimensions? That would be limiting God. God exists on multiple dimensions. There's God as God creates and is invested in creation. So there's God as God is manifest and projects himself to create the structure and the order of the world. And on that level, God is looking at everything. There's light and vessel. It has to fit. It has to make sense. God is analyzing God is buying a car, so to speak, and saying, okay, how much investment should I place into that car versus that car? Does that make sense to invest in? Does that make sense to invest in? Where's the light going? Where am I allocating my resources? That's the lower level. The higher level is God beyond the entire framework of creation. That's just God purely, essentially. And on that level, on that level, there's no analysis because who and what can really be a vessel to the infinite? Nothing can really contain the infinite anyway. So anyway, the infinite is not looking at the parameters of the vessel. So what? One more mitzvah is going to make a person more, more viable for infinite light? Infinite light anyway is infinite. Are you with me on this? on this logical idea? Right? Anyway, it's completely transcendent. So the vessel is not a vessel. There's no, no such thing as a vessel. In which case, what's shining is shining and accessible to all. And so that's really the the point over here. There's a level of choice where you choose what to invest in and you do that based on logic. And on that level, you choose to invest in what's good and you choose not to invest in what's not good. You will give to what's good and you won't give to what's not good. You will put your money in a good car, you will not pour your money, hopefully not, into a car that doesn't do what you want it to do. That's on level one. Level two choice is where everything looks the same. So it doesn't make a difference. You get, you get, I choose this bottle of ketchup, that bottle of ketchup. It doesn't make a difference. They're all the same. And then you're going to ask, but they're not all the same. They're not all the same on the ground. But from the perspective of the infinite light, 35,000, not 35,000, infinite feet above, these two realities, good and evil, one is not better than the other. Infinite light is way beyond. And thus, it doesn't make a difference. This catch-up, that catch-up, good, evil, both are equally welcome and can access the infinite light. And that's how we explain in Discourse 9, finally, after a, maybe three or four discourses of conversation, which comprised, comprised each of two or three or four chapters, after dozens of pages of, of study, we finally come to a, a conclusion of why it is and how it is that evil and wicked behavior sometimes prospers. Why is it? That people can do bad things and they don't get yanked immediately out of creation. How is it that they wake up the next morning or that morning with life and vitality and the energy and the brain power to do horrific things? Where does it come from? It's coming from a level of infinite light that transcends the analysis of good, evil, right, wrong. You're going to get, you're not going to get. It transcends that entirely. And now you're probably wondering, well, where's the third level of choice come in? That's next week. Because what we're going to say next week is, That above random choice is the third level. And I hope by now you've remembered, because it's been a half an hour or so, 35 minutes, what the third level of choice is. You remember what the third level, level of choice is? Quintessential choice. Exactly. And quintessential choice is even when, logically, maybe it doesn't, maybe you can't explain exactly why I should choose this over the other, but essentially this is my, I'm choosing to choose. Don't tell me I can't choose. I'm choosing my choice. So one level, the choice shows me. The other level, who knows who chose. But the third level, I'm choosing to choose. That's next week. Next week, we're going to say that notwithstanding the fact that the infinite light equally gives to all, even deeper than that. And you say, there's something deeper than the infinite light? My answer is yes. Next week. Deeper than even the infinite light is a level where God chooses to choose what? Good over evil. And that's next week. Lest you think we're going to end on a random note, well... No reason to worry, evil can prosper, what could go wrong? That's how we're ending maybe today. But as of next week, Discourse 10, we're going to get into a new dimension where God chooses, not because he has to, not randomly, but because he chooses to choose. And on that level of choosing to choose, God chooses good over evil. And thus, at the end of the day, the evil will not prosper. Even if it does so temporarily, at the the end of it is it can't. Is God ultimately, on the deepest of levels, beyond even the infinite light, chooses to choose good over evil. I gave away the plot for next week. Mind you. By the way, next week, stay tuned for the email about next week's class. There's some, uh, some factors. We may push it off a week to till ne- till the following week. So just stay tuned. As of, uh, so stay tuned for the details. But in our next session, we will explore how the third level of choice affects our conversation about the energy that goes, that flows into evil. My friends, I am very grateful to be studying this with you because these are some of the deepest ideas in Kabbalah. And this process is, I'm just being very open here, allows me, I'm going to speak about myself, the opportunity to take deep ideas, that I've studied in in very deep texts and to try to (laughs) bring them out in language and ideas that make sense, right? That makes sense. Not just conceptually in my head, but but expressed in language and in examples. So thanks for being part of this process. I hope that it made sense. And uh, let's take questions. We'll take questions here and here in both of our of our spaces. Donna? Yes, so you just said that the light is dispersed equally, the infinite light. Level two, yeah. So does that mean that some people don't use it? (laughs) Because, you know, because some people end up doing evil, some people end up doing good, and some people don't do anything. When I say light, what I mean is energy and vitality. So everyone uses the energy and vitality. What we, I think you're thinking of light as a spiritual thing, as like a, as like a holy thing. I'm not ca- talking about light as holy. Light being just core vitality and energy. The fact, that, the, fact that somebody, the fact that somebody perpetrating a crime has the ability to be alive at that moment and have strength to, to carry out that crime means that there's a flow, spiritually there's a flow from above that's infusing that person with life and vitality in that moment. The question is, again, if we start from scratch, the question would be, why does God allow that to happen? Or how could God allow that to happen? Why does God allow evil to prosper and to, and to succeed and to, and to have energy and strength? And the answer that we've come to after, like I said, literally dozens of pages of conversation is this notion that that energy is stemming from the infinite light. And on that so level... It's life force. Um, sorry, it's life force. life, life force. force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the light is not necessarily holy light. I mean, it should be holy light and, and, and hit people and transform them to become well, a not, But that's not, that doesn't happen. We're talking about just core essential vitality and life force that flows to the person to allow them to exist and to use their brain and to have energy and to walk and to move and to, you know, all that stuff. Where does it come from? It comes from the infinite light. Everything has to have a spiritual origin. So the question is on a practical level: if it's like evil, has that not get has that not get noticed, right? It's like God is like, okay, am I get no? That's why would I give that ability to someone about to do something evil? It makes no sense. So we're explaining the mechanics of this on a on a on a spiritual mechanical level that it's coming from a space that is beyond the logical choice; it's the random choice. It's, again, I likened it to my example before. It's like the bottle of ketchup, where you could choose either one, or you could choose both. It doesn't make a difference. But you're going to say, yeah, but, but they're not the same bottle of ketchup. One is good, one is evil. One is, one is healthy, one is poison. Okay, that's when you're reading the labels. Level of perception, I guess. perception. Because, I mean, even probably at, like, a certain level, if you were able to investigate the ketchup, maybe at, like, a level of atoms, I'm sure that there are differences. Right. Right. You're saying even made in the same plant, the ketchup. Adam's making a good point. Adam's saying, what Adam's saying is when you look at the two bottles of ketchup on the shelf, how do you know that they're exactly the same? And probably on a molecular level, there's some distinction between the two. But to you, they have the same label. They look the same. So if we could just extrapolate that, and that's a great, that's a great point. If we could just kind of Continue that upward and recognize that there is a space at which, a place at which, a vantage point from which when you look down, it looks the same and on that level, it's all access. But again, the hope is the third point. Which is, there's a higher level of choice, even beyond random choice, there's quintessential choice. And that is where we choose to choose, even though we didn't have to, even though logic doesn't dictate it, even though it seems kind of random, but we chose to choose, and God, we believe this about God, that God chooses to choose good, and ultimately evil does get cut off. The the energy does end. Choosing good is like the destination, more or less, like the end point. God's like, look, you can get from New York to L.A. You can get there however randomly way you want, but you need to wind up in New York. Right, leave. right, right. There's going to be a destination. Good, I like that. Speaking of L.A., some of you may know this. My, uh, my son went to L.A. this week. My son, Nassen on Thursday. So he's... That's your second son? Well, my, my oldest. So my oldest was in Chicago for three years. Now he's in L.A. Okay. And then my second son is now... In Chicago. So we got a Chicago and an L.A. Wow. And if you guys stick around, I'll even play for you the rap song that somebody made. L.A. from Chicago. And one of the yeshiva <laughs> students in L.A. made a rap song called L.A. from Chicago. Let's see if I can find it. The Compton. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hold on. I see Yaakov has a question. Yaakov, jump in. Yeah. yeah um, either last week or two weeks ago, uh, we were learning about um, I, I, think that maybe it was the same inner light and outer light in that, uh, it's like the banquet and the, it's is getting its energy from the crumbs versus the, uh, direct, uh, energy. Right. And is that the exact same thing we're talking about? And should we good people and can we access the, uh, infinite light as well? Or should we always be trying to access God through, Going internally versus trying to go do, external, doing it the right way. Yeah, excellent question. So the short answer is that we should operate on a do the right thing, get the right the get the right blessings, and like that on that level, we should be operating on that level, the lower level. Um, can we access? But now it sounds like we're being cut out from the infinite level because that's where you know evil gets from, and that's where the flip of the coin is from. Okay, so that's where level three comes in. Level three is yes, there's a way that good can also access from the infinite, and that is by this deepest choice of choice of the infinite. So I hope that makes sense. Um, but yeah, there, but in general, we should be playing, playing by the rules, so to speak. That's really, the, that's really at the core of it. Yeah. Okay. Give me a second here. Let me see if I can find this. Media. So is it a rabbinical program, Rabbi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is so rabbinical. How many, how many years does that take? In L.A. or Chicago? Chicago's three years. Right. L.A. is... You know what? Right. I, wish, I wish I knew. Um, L.A. is... Um, L.A. is how long? L.A. is two years. And then there's usually New York and then somewhere else and and then the party continues there's a lot of years of study Adam and I were 스musing this morning about how, how how many years of study that I've had under my belt before I started teaching Kabbalah and coffee or Kabbalah in general and I was like struggling to like come up with a number but it's it's a, there's a lot of years of study yeah I want to wish again, before we close out. So first of all, two things. Let me make a few quick announcements. Number one, announcement number one is today we have a film screening of an incredible independent Israeli film called Redemption together with Israeli food. It's going to happen rain or shine. Either it'll happen outside in the parking lot or if it rains, we don't have another date to push it off. So we're just going to do it inside our indoor synagogue theater space. Um, with the same food and the same the same entertainment and all that good stuff. So tonight, rain or shine, 8 p.m. We have a film, Jewish summer cinema, uh, presenting Redemption. Tuesday night, we begin a two-part series called 60 Days with Mrs. Nomi Freeman. This is a way to get to tap into the spirituality of the ho- of, of the holiday season, the month of El that we're in now, the month of Tishrei that we're getting ready for, Rosh Hashanah holidays. So that's all coming up. This week, starting Tuesday night, 60 days. 60 days being a reference, of course, to the 30 days of El and 30 days of Tishrei. 60 days in total. Um, spirituality and meditation workshops, 8 p.m. Tuesday night. You can find more information and sign up about that on our website, in slash 60 days. Each session features a guided meditation. So you're going to love that. She's amazing. Nomi Freeman is an amazing teacher. It, be um, it should be recorded, yes, yes. So join us for that, and of course we have High Holiday Boot Camp coming up, and High Holidays coming up. We're going to send out some emails about some more details with that, because I know a lot of people are asking about, like, kind of protocol and everything. We're going to send out an update, please God, this week, or latest next week. So stay tuned for all that good stuff. All right, I want to wish you all a shavuot Tov. Sorry? Shofar. shofar. Look what I have. Oh, and before we do the Shofar, I want to once again wish a very, very heartfelt, deep, and sincere, and just loving Mazel Tov to our dear friends, Mariana and Alex and the whole mishpacha on Ian's wedding next weekend. Just wish you guys so much love and nachat and just the most incredible blessings. All right. Thank you very much. Thank pleasure. you. Pleasure, pleasure. It's, it's very, today's very inspiring class and and I connect with a lot. Thank you very much. and And we are very... Pat, to be in New York, preparing the yes. wedding. Yes, and Yeah, thank you for the amazing. inspiration. Amazing, amazing. Pleasure. All right, we'll do the chauffeur and then we'll close it out. All right, here we go. We'll see how this ends up on the recording. If it, like, people listening will be like, what is happening yeah. to my ears? Shana Tova, everybody. All right. Wishing everybody a good year. Remember, just do it. Do the right thing. Don't flip the coin too much. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys. See you guys soon. Shavuot Tov. Take care, everybody. Tov. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Mazel Shavuotov. Tov.